0: Hi and welcome to Third Waves. Third is a platform that amplifies underrepresented voices through print, events, and on the airwaves. On this show we interrogate the intersections of culture and activism, bringing you interviews and discussions with guests who have knowledge and lived experiences on the topic at hand. I am Daniela. I'm a writer, musician,
1: and producer at Third. I am Rona, stylist, creative director, and founder of Third.
2: And I am Tribe DJ, radio host and music editor at Third.
0: Just before we get into what this episode is all about, a reminder: the latest print issue of Third Magazine is out, issue number five, Defiant Beauty. You can find it on You can <laughs> find it online um, at uk and all good bookshops. Or visit, you know, a gallery or a good magazine store, sometimes newsagents. This magazine is also stocked internationally, so you can also find it in New York.
1: Yeah, Barnes and Noble. Lovely. All
0: right. On this episode, we will be discussing how we fell in love with, then out of love with, fictional characters in movies and literature that embody a specific flavor of white heteronormative romantic tropes. How these shaped our view of gender performance, romance and relationships? And how do we attempt to unlearn its influence on us and rebirth ourselves as makers away from the constraints of these ideas, which have in no small way shaped us and what we expect from the world around us? Our guest on the show today is Kosi Remy Amayo, author and co-founder of the UK-based independent publishing house Onway Press. Born from a noticeable gap in the market, Cosy co founded Enway Press with Mariam Jimmo in twenty eighteen to focus on storytelling that allows for marginalized ideas and diverse voices to be centre stage, and ensuring ownership for those creating the narratives. Onway means ownership and freedom in ebo. So I was so um, excited to speak to Cosie about this topic. Um, you know, one of the first things that she brought to my attention was like, Mr. Darcy um, from Bridget Jones Diaries. And I'm not gonna lie, I hadn't thought about that movie in years until she brought it up. And I always watched Bridget Jones Diaries with like, A lot of glee, I would say, like, really enjoy that movie. Even the second one, which was less good, it was still really enjoyable. And, yeah, it's, like, it's just sweet, isn't it? And Colin Firth is obviously just, like, lovely. Um, And then, you know, kind of revisiting this movie after so many years and obviously growing up a bit, I was like, oh, yeah, it's true. Like, maybe there are some things about how these people are is maybe not something I kind of want to like, it's kind of weird that these type of movies are such like we are pegging our like expectations of relationships and, and how to behave and what to expect from people or or, like idealizing this type of relationship as like one of the, you know, one of the only types of like romantic, like example of a successful way of like engaging with someone romantically, like let alone the fact that, you know, obviously they're like just both obviously white people and also straight, um yeah so I was quite excited to talk to her about that um all of this
1: for, for anyone who doesn't who hasn't watched Bridget Jones's diary or Pride and Prejudice could you give a rundown of like Mr Darcy's character and what he does Danielle? oh
0: um I'll try but I might not remember so you guys might have to help me so from what I remember Bridget Jones diaries she is it's set in America right she's definitely oh no She's done, yeah, she's. it's set in the UK. Sorry, Renée Zellweger is an American actress, but she does a really great British accent. And yeah, so they're living in London and she has this crush on, is it like a superior at work? Um, it's played by Colin Firth. And I think the whole, I honestly haven't watched it in so long. The whole movie is basically her like having this unstoppable crush and he's like just bumbling awkwardness, but then eventually they get together and it's just lovely. Yeah, he's like a totally like a perfect man, no flaws. This is how I remember it. I don't know. Is <laughs> that how You remember this movie?
1: I kind of remember because, like, Mister Darcy, definitely in Pride and Prejudice. Anyway, he's a bit of a like a. He's like not the warmest person. He's a bit like he's a bit aloof in as a character, and similarly in um, Bridget Jones, he's like. Someone who, like, obviously Bridget pays attention to, but as a character, he's a bit, like, he's awkward, like you said. I think at certain points he's kind of insulting too, you know what I mean? Like, he he not only, like, she thinks they're going somewhere and then he kind of does stuff which kind of brings them back to ground zero. But somehow at the end, it all, you know, despite there being, like, a massive gap because there's that period where she goes, like, it's Christmas time, right? And she's, like, sort of, like upset over the other guy sort of thing. She still reconciles with the Darcy character. um, And at the end, it's like the relationship works out. So, I kind of merged, I think they're both the Pride and Prejudice story and also the Bridget Jones story, but they are basically the same thing. It's the whole idea of meeting this guy who seems a bit like maybe the word is like mysterious, or there's something there that like makes you curious about them, Um, being interested in them, thinking you're like things are going somewhere, and they're kind of a bit of like they're not gentlemen enough. Like, especially in Pride and Prejudice, there's that whole. Because in Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Darcy actually proposes, what, like one time, I believe. And the main protagonist, Elizabeth, says no, right? So, yeah, his character or like his sort of character trope is quite interesting. I think, especially when you consider the fact that this guy, which on some levels looking back, I don't feel is presented as having so many like desirable characteristics ends up being, like, the catch at the end.
0: Yeah, it's like someone who's vaguely attractive, but mostly it's just, like, the empty space where you put your fantasy onto.
2: It also seems quite interesting that both characters, I guess, are um, described as unconventional and a bit aloof. And so, like you said, it gives that room for the protagonist to, or the main character, usually a female, to fill in the gaps of what... They're about what they're meant to be, you know, um, what their intentions are. But I think as a trope, it kind of tells a lot of young readers or, you know, viewers of the films that, you know, love is sometimes complicated and, you know, you're not always going to understand your partner and it's going to be a bit rocky and he's going to be aloof and he's not going to really chase you and all those kind of things where it's like... I guess it makes sense to that maybe the emotions you might be feeling as a teenager when trying to step into the world of dating or having crushes
1: yeah I think both the Darcy characters as well are men of like you know substantial material wealth too they're like older guys I don't think like I'm not here to diss Colin Firth or anything but like they're not presented as being like the most you know it's not about the looks with them It's kind of more about the power that they hold and, like, the mystery.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a good point, that material wealth is a big backbone of of them being so aloof and yet enticing.
1: Mm. I think that is quite a common trope that happens in this whole sort of, like, romance genre, right? It's like a man who's in some ways powerful, maybe a bit older, um not that nice all the time, like kind of a bit mean in some circumstances, but somehow the female protagonists who were strongly aligned with, we see a lot of the stuff from their perspective still somehow ends up with them, you know? I think it's interesting that we view it a lot of the time from the woman's perspective too, because it's almost like that's the, especially maybe I'm looking at it as a woman myself, but I feel a lot of the time that's the journey that they push you down
2: and it makes sense in terms of the period of which these kind of early romance tropes and books were written like in the regency period where there was such a rigidity for women and their like day-to-day existence but yet there was this flourish of like the upper middle class and upper class in terms of new wealth new money from the colonies and through you know the new exploitations that the UK has had <laughs> developed in that it, at that time so I can imagine the um the roles being quite extraneous kind of and, and, like the way that I guess Bridgerton tries to explore it in most recently on the Netflix show that everyone's watching where there are all these kind of um ways of engaging and what the expectations are in a woman um and I think it in some ways we still relate to that in society. those tr- Some of those tropes still hold up, you know?
1: The thing with Pride and Prejudice, though, is that it's more strongly about courtship and women wanting to, particularly sisters, wanting to get married. And so, like, it's linking it back to what you were saying, Tribe. It's, it's very, very much about that world in which women um moved up in society via marriage that was their main option so for these women that is their main concern uh, and that's their main priority and goal but i guess with like later romance comedies, you do get that tension where like you know in bridget jones say for example which is a film but based on it you know um bridget is working woman she's she's in the office like spilling tea on herself and all of that sort of you know jazz so but it is still the same trope isn't it it's like the single woman looking for a man to fulfill her in some shape form or way
0: i think it's really good that you point out that although bridget jones is a working woman she's portrayed very much as a failure in the office or certainly clumsy there is like a lovingness with which her character is being seen by the camera and the story but yeah she's she's not like nailing it mm,
2: she still feels kind the same precious not the exact same, yeah. the modern day equivalent of those pressures of, you know, settling down, what is expected of a woman of her age in the society, you know. Um, and at the same time, her heart as well.
1: Yeah, I feel like the two kind of like link, right? It's like she's a mess, hence why she's not with anyone. In a weird way, that's one of them weird narratives that comes through in some of the things that happens right because even when I'm just thinking about that scene where she tries to be the sexy bunny and it all just go it goes able so she's even trying to perform to the male gaze like she's doing the things she's supposed to do and like it's like even though she's this cute hot blonde you know what I mean she still hasn't done it I feel like that's the narrative they take us down it's like she still hasn't done it well enough and that's the reason why she's she's struggling
0: in a weird way Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like continuously strive for it. Um, One thing you said earlier, Rona, that I thought was definitely actually really like spot on is you were talking about the people who watch these movies. I think that's very true that I feel like these rom-coms on the whole are marketed at women and women talk to each other about like, oh, come around on Saturday and watch a rom-com together, drink some wine. And I think there is something about that, like quite sinister about it. You know, it's like, it's not to say that I wouldn't, I don't enjoy a good rom-com, but when there's like a very clear divide of like how certain types of movies are being targeted specifically at a group of people, then you just you just kind of question like what's behind that.
1: Yeah, totally. I think as well, like, because I was thinking about whose perspective like the rom-com is usually done from. And just as you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, I can't think of a single rom-com where it's like, actually, I can. I just said that, and then I thought of 500 Days of Summer, so I'm going to like... But that's actually one of my favourite films. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, yeah. Literally love it. But, um, like, that is a rarity because it is, like, the man's perspectives, the man's journey. So, like, this aloof character of Mr. Darcy is not that... It, it, he's demystified in these films, right? Because we, we go on his journey and we see things through his perspective. And I think it's very interesting that initially, like uh, even linking it back to fairy tales and stuff like that, it's all mostly centred around the woman when we talk about romance, you know, the man factors into it, but it's largely from it's when it's largely about women, it's largely about romance.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned 500 days of summer, which is also one of my favorite um, films. Uh, it also touches upon a, uh, I guess what I could possibly argue is the opposite or the equivalent female version of the um, trope, the Darcy, Mr. Darcy trope, which is the manic pixie dream girl in which there is this mysterious, aloof woman who fulfills the fantasies of a guy who seems to be lacking in life in some way and um, projects so much onto the woman and his expectations onto the woman and somehow sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But it's actually quite interesting where some of those rom coms where it is flipped on the other side, but there's still this kind of projection of expectations.
0: Yeah, it's like the expectation for the for that character, this girl, to come in like all sunshine and and bring joy and not being burdensome and Yeah.
2: And show him how to live life again. You know, it's always a slightly nerdy guy who is not hitting the, I guess all the stereotypes that a man in society is meant to kind of like if we compare it to Bridget Jones, um, you know, it's not necessarily a typically overly masculine kind of man. And all of a sudden a woman who shows him that, you know, he can still be free and he can scream in a supermarket and do random things and everyone's going to, you know what I mean? Like, it's quite interesting, those kind of stereotypes and how those, I guess, the the male version of
3: it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. So, like, do you guys remember which, if, if there is a movie or a book where you had a teenage crush on one of the characters... Yeah, some yeah, someone that kind of fulfil that a character that fulfil that fantasy, if it's not too personal to talk about, of course, or too revealing.
2: <laughs> I feel like I went down the two routes. Um, I, so <laughs> you know, the OC, <laughs> Seth Cohen, so the nerdy kind of geeky guy, or the other extreme where it's like, um, oh, what's her name, Michelle Rodriguez in anything that she starred in. In my teenage years, where it's like I will kick your ass, kind of female.
1: For me, this might be going slightly astray, but I realised when I was really thinking about the ones I fancied that um, most of them weren't human; they were vampires. Like <laughs> I really, really fancied a like vampire angel from Buffy, like Darren Shan, cat, like Cruel. Blood suckers, like that's what I was into. So uh,
2: you know, I feel like there's so much to unpack there. Teenage
0: Rona,
1: <laughs> like <laughs> it a lot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> also, it's probably still the case, like fictional crushes <laughs> Um Yeah, I think for me, like maybe Legolas from like Lord of the Rings, but that's probably just because I really fancied Orlando Bloom. So like, maybe not so much. But like the elfishness. I don't know. That's pretty aloof, too, right? Mmm. Yeah. Although, I'm not sure which tropes that that's playing into.
1: I feel like with Legolas, he was he almost felt like like he he couldn't actually be touched. If you know what I mean. Sorry, that's not what I mean to say. But he was very aloof, basically. I think it was definitely the aloof trait with him because I also had a bit of
0: that. Yeah, yeah. I guess there is like a kind of prince-like quality, right? He was definitely he was some kind of like. These elf creatures are sort of royal in terms of the the cast of of different types of characters in that world, and so they were like part of this kind of royal so he was like kind of like the prince in a weird way
1: I remember he was so obsessed with his bow and arrow, and he was really good at that. you know mm, what I mean that like arrow shooter, and I think because he was so focused on that thing that made him more attractive because it was like, oh, but, like, you're really hot because all you care about is, like, bow and arrow. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, very... I can't think of the word right now. Yeah, skillful.
0: Very skillful and focused. That's definitely attractive.
1: (laughs) He's clearly not the guy who's looking for a wife, you know? Yeah. that was... That's a challenge. Yeah. Exactly. I think there's something to it in terms of some of the unavailable that's what i meant he was very unavailable that makes him more desirable yeah
2: which says a lot um, in terms of like this being a consistent theme for a lot of the guy tropes where it's like they're focused on their work or they're just aloof or you know what i mean like what is it about women and not saying this is all women but in terms of these particular tropes where certain women gravitate towards guys who won't necessarily pay them the, the, them the attention or the relationship, the attention that it might deserve.
0: Yeah. But I wonder if that's like non-gendered. Like I think I've definitely tried to, like, I don't know. I feel like with women it's maybe the same, right. Like if somebody's like seems unavailable and distant, there is something about like, you're just like the challenge also kind of entices you in, even if, in any type of configuration of orientation maybe maybe but like that's also strange so like why are we attracted to people who like don't don't seem available or, or are we is that just something that we just say like I don't know you know sometimes you say these things are like oh why are we attracted to people who don't pay us any attention And I'm just like but have I ever been attracted to someone who doesn't pay me any attention like is that real or is that just something that everyone says <laughs>
1: I think that was definitely the dream that was sold to us, just being a 90s child. And like, if we connect it back to like what we all grew up on, which is Disney, right? There's this whole narrative, which is like, girl is doing her thing, living her life. Then there's some sort of obstacle. And um, as, when it's based on romance anyway, you know, I'm thinking about like the Bells, the hunters and people like that who I kind of gravitate towards, there's usually some sort of weird initial obstacle with the with the first meetup with a guy. But then you overcome that and you realize how great this person is and how great you are together, you know? And so I think in a weird way, I mean, maybe I'm a bit like self-psychoanalysing here, but it's like you're, you're repeating that same, not right now, but, you know, in the past, like maybe you repeat that same pattern. Of believing everyone is conquerable. You know, it's just a challenge.
0: I believe everyone is conquerable. But, let's...
1: <laughs> but I guess the question here, I, I'm, I, if I understand what
2: you're getting at, Daniela, is it like whether what we seem to desire in our tropes, so whether it's narrative fiction and, you know, TV characters and things like that, is it necessarily what we're going for in real life? Is that the question? Or whether there is a net a lineup of those two things. Cause we could like, like aloof Mr. Darcy like characters on TV and like we can quote, oh, that's the person we like on TV or in a book. But then in real life maybe are we actually acting out these?
0: Yeah, it's a blurry line, isn't it? But I think like if if you are fed a certain type of thing through media and stories and just general culture it's quite hard like it takes a while for you to start to like question is that and yeah you go through a few rounds of repeating those
3: things b- before you sort of think oh maybe i'm not about that
0: mm-hmm. i mean
3: yeah yeah experience is the, the best teacher right yeah yeah true So, hi, Cosy. Thank you so much for
0: being on our show today. Um, let's just start off by you telling us a bit about who you are and what you do.
3: Of course. Well, I'm really excited to be on here. Honestly, I love your podcast. Um, I'm um, very... Very excited, um, but yes, I'm I'm Cosie um, Amaya. I guess most people probably know me as Rennie Amaya. Rennie's my middle name, and it's the name I write under. Um, I'm the author of Daughters of Henry, um, which is uh, YA fantasy set in ancient Nigeria, um, and and focused on these two twins. Um, as you might have guessed, it I'm Nigerian, um, born and raised in London, um, and and a couple of years ago, I started. I embarked on this whole like turn in my career where i plunged, you know, into like the writing world, and um, I've started this independent publishing house um, called On Way with my best friend Mariam, and yeah, just living life really <laughs> on the back of on the back of those two exciting and and dominating projects. <laughs>
0: Wow, amazing! Um, well, your press, Onway Press, um, will have published eight books by twenty twenty twelve. That's a huge achievement for an independent publisher that's you know set up in
3: twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty twenty. I, I wish it's only But yeah.
0: yeah, but so I just I'd love to hear a bit more like how that process was, like mm. how it w- has been you setting this up and the whole journey behind it really.
3: Yeah, no, I love that. And and it's so it's so weird to hear that we'll be we'll have, you know, eight books out um, in 2022, um, especially I think with the journey itself. It really started off without without any real plan. <laughs> um, so I, I I always sort of like um, refer back to this point um, when it comes to like the inception of Onway and everything um, before I. Started the press. Um, I was not known for writing at all, you know. Um, even with like my friends and my family, they had no idea that you know this was kind of like my secret hobby, like the thing I'll do to just. Uh, I think I always say I use it as like a form of therapy, just to release, you know, some of that creative energy. I think at the time. I was working in um, investment banking, um, which is very high stress <laughs> and um, very yeah intense. And I think I was at a point where I was used to being like good at the the things that I do. If that made sense, I was good. To, I was used to being like top of the class and all this stuff. And what I found was I felt like the work I was doing one I wasn't very passionate about it and then two you know I had this maniac boss (laughs) who was like um who uh went out of her way I think to just make me feel bad about my work you know and, and myself and it got to this point where you know I would sort of like um submit work through like my other colleague and then she would just be like oh this is great (laughs) not knowing that I had done it like it was just very it was a very intense (laughs) point of my career and and um life and um for me it just felt good to just write do something that was just for me and something that I was just I loved what I why I wrote so it felt like okay I'm good at this I'm good at something um And when I finished, um, the book, when I finished daughters of Henry, I, um, it was like, I'd been writing ever since I was 14, like properly, like ever since I was 14, I've been writing books, but it was the first book that I was just like, I need other people to actually read this. You know, it was the first time I thought I actually want this to be published before. Then I thought the idea of like publishing when, you know, I was retired or something and it was just something that I'll just do. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, when, you know, when I'd finished Waters of Enry, I was just so eager to get that book out. Um, and I started to speak to various different people in the industry and like publishing. And I was prepared for, you know, like the standard, oh, you know, you go through 50, 100 rejections and, you know, you finally make it out the way. I was prepared for that fight. What I wasn't prepared for was, um, why received, which was I guess you could call it interest you know interest in the book and and why I was doing, um but I caught it very early, it just all felt very tokenistic you know and it and it felt as though oh great you know this is in vogue at the moment you are a black author this is a black book and you know it it felt very much like yes this is exactly what we need and i'll tick off like the tick off system and i spoke to um a few more people like a few indies and like really amazing people who had been in the industry for years and they were just like yeah this this industry is uh pretty crap when it comes to publishing you know authors from diverse backgrounds and we do get these moments um where there are trends like where diversity is literally a trend and then it kind of goes in these you know waves and um i was just like it was it was really eye opening for me because I grew up, you know, loving books, you know, and I still obviously do love books. And to hear that the industry um, itself was so <laughs> needed a lot of work um, was was eye opening. When on reflection, it really shouldn't have been because when I look at the books that I read <laughs> growing up, they were predominantly, you know, from one type of demographic, which absolutely does not reflect me in any way shape or form but I guess it's so crazy how uh an industry can be so neglectful of you know a, a vast amount of people and it becomes the norm um so like with that idea in in mind um me and Marion were just like sitting over dinner and she has a background in um you know Entrepreneurialship, and i was in a startup at the time so we were both sort of like well you know maybe this is something that we need to explore like maybe it, it sounds like we've met a need um and we're both crazy so we're just like yeah we can do this like why not let's just let's just fix this let's bring out the book ourselves and like you know create a space for for books like um daughters of Henry where." They are valued not because they meet some sort of like diversity quota or they sort of have um yeah, that they they fit whatever trend is is in vogue at the moment, but they're valued because, you know, of their the fact that they're unique stories and the high quality stories that might be from perspectives that aren't considered quote unquote mainstream. Um, but I guess the the idea that really underpins Onway is the fact that we know that everyone loves diverse culture, you know, like diverse creativity and, and they love sort of like exploring other cultures. Like if you think about it, we all love to travel. We all love to, to, you know, understand like different people's perspectives just because it's not packaged for one particular demographic doesn't mean that people won't resonate with it. And I know this personally because I, I, I have resonated with countless stories and countless films that have been solely from the perspective of a white man. And I am not a white man. (laughs) So I think it's like, that's the premise that kind of underpins on where, like the work that we do, just like viewing these books, not as like, oh, wow, look at this, you know, ethnic book, (laughs) but more so like, look at this amazing story and like, look at this culture, like this is something that we should be highlighting and, and um, spreading out to the mainstream just as we do the other books. Um, yeah. So that was, that's been our, our journey so far. And so we started off with, with Daughters of Henry and just we were as innovative as we could be. And then, um, and that book published at the end of uh, 2019, and then um, in 2020, um, in the midst of you know the the global pandemic, we signed on um, a, a few more authors, and these are the books that we're, we're bringing out over the the next year.
0: Wow! Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that whole story. I was fitting. Many emotions listening to that. Actually, I mean, this maniac boss, you know, and and all that. Um, just out of interest, like when when you started writing this this, I, I would say debut novel, right? Daughters um, of yeah. Henry was was that were you writing that at the time of working in that toxic environment?
3: Um, yeah, I was, and it's it's so crazy because I was working such intense hours. So I would. Um, I had to be in the office for seven um and I'd probably leave around like nine eight nine on a good day (laughs) um and then somehow I think it's because it, it was very much a need for me but somehow within that whole process I'd fit in um time to write um and it was it was like the thing that I would think about like going into work and the thing I would think about coming out of work, just like developing that story. Um, so yeah, it was very much, um, yeah, it was written during that whole, whole period.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Incredible. I think one other aspect that I find so inspiring about your story, um, is the fact that, you know, I feel like anyone who completes a novel, which is a mammoth task and then takes it to publishers and people who read it and, You know, for you to quite quickly be noticing the fact that the kind of interest that it was getting wasn't the type that you um, could stand behind and deciding to actually I'm going to do this myself. I feel like that takes a lot of uh, courage and astuteness. You know, so first novel, people are recognizing it. You might just be washed over by their sense of like, wow, people really want to actually platform my story. That's great. And not see some of the more sinister sides of it. Um, so yeah, I think that's really impressive and and I wonder if there's any m- more thoughts you can share there of like how it became so obvious to you so quickly that you had to do something about it
3: yeah i mean i th- I think it has a lot to do with like my approach towards writing at at the time, especially, but writing was always mine if if that made sense it was always i I knew from such a young age that it was always something I was going to do consistently, it was always my tool that I was going to use for a long time like I had no um interest in in publishing as I said like my idea was like when I'm retired I can throw you know give them a few of the stories and it doesn't matter like no pressure at all so that was like the the my my mindset for such a long time and then when that changed it was really related to um I felt like I owed my younger self some, something, you know, like the, the girl that was like obsessed with books and fantasy books and loved these books that, that didn't reflect her. And I kept on thinking about this moment. Um, you know, going into a library and then seeing Daughters of Henry and just it being so obviously like this book is for you, you know, like I kept on thinking about that moment, that moment. And those like, that was the thing that was like, that's what I was looking for when it came to publishing. Uh, it's such a difficult thing, you know, to to have a dream where it's just like, I want my book out. I want to be published. And if someone's giving you that dream, I think your brain automatically just like fills it with like, oh, like fairy tales and like clouds. Like I know that's, if that was my perspective going in, I'm absolutely certain that I would have had the same sort of reaction. And then it's only sort of like afterwards when you're in the industry and you kind of like see the more sinister sinister side to it that you kind of realize how um, it's sort of like been dripped in, in in some of these earlier conversations. But I think because my perspective was what my goal and like, what my thought process was was, you know, I think quite different to um what most um, you know, debut authors kind of go into the industry looking for. Um, I think it meant that I was one, more of a control freak because, <laughs> you know, I was very much like, listen, I don't care if you if you don't want to publish my story, don't publish my story. But what you're not gonna do is adjust it and change it so that it's not for the people I've intended it. To be for that was one thing i was just like mm, no i i i would rather burn the whole thing down <laughs> than to have it sort of like um whitewashed in, in in any way you know so that's something that i was like very like uh, nitpicky about and i think it was that combination that meant that i sort of like could pick up on some of these like you know that that dog was the, the the little um comments made here and there where it's just like, oh no. And then I think um also what was really great for me was um the people I got to reach out to who kind of just like shed more light into the industry. Um and really opened me up into this world of indie publishing. You know, we've had like there's so many houses that have done such amazing work and published such great books um, who are they're not new at all to the idea of like oh you know literature is actually should be diverse you know that's actually on on you know for for a lot of them like that's the premise like that's what they're looking for these bespoke um novels and ideas um so I think they were really able to kind of like provide me with that extra push where it was just like yeah no I'm not i'm not going to um be taken in by the the glitz and glamour because what i'm looking for is something a lot more um long-standing and 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 yeah it's like a mission it's a mission i'm on actually (laughs) you know we're not sort of like we made the decision not to be sort of like very strict you know with with you know who we choose to publish like um yes black women are my heart and my soul but it's not a case where we only publish work from you know black women um we publish work from diverse voices or like people who want to explore like these unique stories or ideals that you know they make it onto the desk at these traditional publishers and the reception is oh this is a great story but who we're we gonna sell it to, and it kind of shifts off. That is like that's the story and that's the voice that you know we want to center in 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 Onway. So it's like our most recent release, um, the marks left on her. Um, comes from like this uh, a biracial woman who's um her her um background you know she she grew up in um, Hong Kong her mom is Chinese her her father was um, absent um, during her life and he was Jewish and I think it's such a unique um not unique but such a it's like a perspective that we don't hear a lot from especially in the context of the book itself is sort of like very steeped with like um with the me too movement and, and sexual assault and i think when we look at these topics um or like feminism it's very much from um uh almost like a singular voice you know like you know like white feminist <laughs> white feminism is like what we've what we're taught i think to see as like the totality of like the fem- like the, the women the women's experience like living as a woman in this world i think um that is what we're kind of given so i think that being able to add more to that like add just add more literally color <laughs> to that um expression or like to that movement um is is amazing and i think that's really like what we're trying to do to do on the way with like the books that we're, we're hoping to bring out. So I was curious
2: how you adapted all your plans to the pandemic, you know, how did you continue to keep that mo- momentum and get to a point where you're like about to release eight books or would have released eight books by next year um, but yet we've still been in and out of a, uh, a pandemic
3: Yeah, like it was, it was, it was so crazy because Literally, um, just as the pandemic hit, we were about to do a book launch for one of our um, our in-house books, "53 um, Women." You know, you don't know who changed our world. It was a crazy time. It definitely was a crazy time to just be like releasing a book and like obviously, you know, being a small business and like uh, having this, like at that point we were just like, yeah, we need more books, you know, in, in the next season. So there was like a, a, a shaky moment where it was just like, okay, so what, what's our strategy here? <laughs> but luckily I think for us, um, as I kind of alluded to before, we were very innovative with Daughters of Henry um, and we had to kind of perform in a in a very, like we were very much the, uh, the underdog. Dog. So we, we don't have the same access. Well, we didn't have the same access to, um, to PR or to, you know, um, the papers or to like the, the same um, connections with bookshops that sort of like traditional publishers already have established. So our way was very much like appealing to the public and appealing to the people who we wanted the book um, the, the the read like the readership and kind of like connecting with our community online so we'd already kind of had that um down I think with daughters of henry like people are more online now um or d- during a pandemic than they perhaps would be otherwise and um, yes events was a is a huge part of you know what we love to do and how we'd love to connect with our community but what we did was just shift that. Movement on online. Um, so for the um, cover reveal for Descendants of the First, which is the sequel to, to Daughters of Henry, um, what we did was. We created these like picnic hampers, um, so it was over the summer, I was at the point where people were like really into like the picnic vibe, and we gave them to about like I think 15 to 20 inspirational, like I think black women or women within the community, and we gave them you know these these hampers. Um, and they sort of like at the same time, you know, we opened it. So it was like a, it was like a socially distant, um, picnic, really great. Like, um, even G- Jamelia, the the singer, um, we sent her cause her, yeah, like her, her daughter is a, a fan of Daughters of Henry and, um, Jamelia I was like what I was her such a huge fan of her growing up like I would do the songs and the dances and in primary school and all that stuff so I was it was one of those moments where it was like mind-blowing to see how it you know comes around um full circle and to sort of like hear her talking about the book and everything it was it was great so so we kind of like leaned into that notion of of um of things and then we we also received help which was amazing you know um there were so many i think people were very attuned to the fact that within like uh, a pandemic you know indies are one of the, the 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 first to kind of like crumble under the pressure of like you know economic slowdown um so we had like initiatives like you know um Inclusive Indies, um, which was, uh, uh, a crowd, um, funding effort from, um, Jacaranda books and, and Knights of, um, both two amazing, um, independent publishers. So they, you know, um, um, helped us and provided us with a grant that kind of like helped us get new authors on board. Um, the arts, the arts council was also like a huge help I think for creatives during the the um the pandemic um so we were able to get some help which really allowed us to de-risk you know the the capital that we were putting into like you know okay so we can actually yeah we can have these new authors and we can invest in them and we can bring these books out to the world um without sort of like risking our livelihoods <laughs>
0: Yeah, wow, that's um, such a thorough like walkthrough of, of the eight, last 18 months. must have been very intense to live at times, but fantastic that you also got the kind of support and the positive feedback from that picnic sounded absolutely delightful. Um, just to kind of loop back into that um, Jamelia story and her daughter loving your book, um, so your the daughters of Henry and... Um, are, like is aimed at the young audience young sorry young adult audience um are most of the books on your press aimed for that age group or that genre
3: yes yes I'd say I think um four yeah I think four four of our books are YA um yeah. you know the young adult mm-hmm. um fantasy genre
0: yeah um what is it about this particular genre that really draws you in or interests you don't know if that's a too broad a question but
3: no <laughs> no it's it's, it's not as well. I think I think for me YA means a lot to me I can't say that it started off my book addiction because I was already like far gone by the time I came across YA <laughs> um like those mysterious men had me <laughs> um But um, I think it was like the the genre of books where it kind of like took my addiction to the next level, (laughs) where I was like walking to school with like a book in hand and everything. Like it was that was like the 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 genre that caught me very early. So it will always have like a special place in my heart, I think, because of that. Um, And I think why such an interesting. Um, it's such an interesting genre to explore because you know you're meeting these characters at the cusp of like you know adulthood and and because of that you know emotions are are heightened the stakes are higher well seem feel a lot higher you know you're not dulled by oh god well life's life like <laughs> who cares like you're not dulled by that that um i think that adult outlook um but you are grasping and understanding issues especially like social issues more so than perhaps like a, a childhood so for me that's such an interesting um yeah an, an interesting area of like literature to to explore um and i think while you know with onway i think we're, we're very agnostic when it comes to genre like we, we we're not sort of like focused on on ya at all um but i do think obviously there is some sort of like a subjective element to it where I'm just personally more drawn towards these stories. So obviously that kind of like translates to, to more of our book lists kind of like fitting in that, that mold. Um, And so I think that that's a part of it. Like just, the subjective element um, and I also think that because we started off with Daughters of Enri, um a lot of sort of like the people who we've interacted with online they kind of see that and they view us like oh okay this is a great place for me to like publish my YA book.
0: Yeah it's so interesting that this YA genre um, in a sense because you were talking about reading these books that um, were aimed were created and aimed by a very specific demographic and YA being at a turning point, like you say, between, you know, just on the cusp of adulthood and how those books shaped our minds, you know, like thinking of like pride and prejudice, thinking of, you know, movies like British Jones diaries and, and, you know, that's kind of one of the things we're going to get on to talk about these kind of, um, these, these girl crushes, um, teen girl crushes all over. Um, and and yet, you've kind of returned to write for this for this age group or for this type of genre, and and challenging some of these tropes. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about your relationship with these? Um, I don't know, very popular tropes and and stories within that within that world when you were maybe like growing up, and how you've how your journey with breaking away from that quote unquote tradition came about.
3: Yeah, no, of course. I mean, I I was definitely, <laughs> I was I was in deep with um, the YA tropes, like very much in deep. I loved them so much, <laughs> like all these books, um, you know, from from Twilight um, to to all these like all the different, you know, the the books, the popular books that have like these like you know the um, the love triangles and like these like wildly passionate men <laughs> um i think that juxtaposed like with like um as you said stories like pride and prejudice and like um bridget jones diaries and all that stuff i think it, it 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 made it very easy for me to kind of like live in my mind in terms of like okay this is what love is like this is what um relationships with men is like this is like what the dynamic is when it comes to like relationships and like how to move forward with them and like all the things that you expect from them and and, like I didn't have any boyfriends like in secondary school or anything I just had like these (laughs) I just had like crushes for sure um I had like these like moments where um where I'll just be like why it's sort of like almost like create this um, tension between me and another boy um, I went to a girl's school but that's honestly no excuse because all my friends you know they'd tell me all about their boyfriends I'd give them advice even though I had no experience <laughs> my experience was literally books but I would just be like yeah this is supposed to do all this stuff like I remember I had like this huge crush and on, like one of the boys um, from our um, our partner school um, and he was one of the older boys and he was um in this he was in like the older boy group but he was like the more quiet one and I was just like oh he's so cute um and I I even had this moment where I literally walked into a pole because he was (laughs) he was like we were all walking on the same street and I was just literally just like obsessed I walked into this pole I remember he he was the one that stopped and he was just like are you okay and I was obviously mortified but then this also fed into like my delusions where I was just like oh my goodness clearly we are secretly in love Um, I think that's very much like the impact that these stories had like on me where it was just like you know, um, you almost kind of believe that your life will be like this. Like, relationships are like this and they're complicated. Like, they are complicated, obviously, but they're complicated in this very, like... Um mysterious and secretive way where sort of like you have these people who are just in love with you from afar. And then, you know, when this drama happens, that's when everything's revealed. And I think that's kind of like for definitely for like my early relationships. I think that's kind of like the line I, I went down, um, yeah, the, the line I went down and I think on, on it, it was interesting cause it's like on, on one level, it's just like, I think it got me, um, I ended up like ignoring, um, guys who perhaps, um, were just normal, <laughs> but in my mind, there was just like, well, this person clearly doesn't like me. Um, and then sort of like gravitating towards the guys who probably needed to go to therapy. <laughs> and, um, I think that's, yeah. So it kind of like created that di- dynamic and it was only after sort of like living through, um, some of these experiences. I think you kind of look back and you're just like, okay, you know, um that's probably it's not that's not the message that's that's it's not an accurate message and it's not an accurate depiction of like these relationships or how things go um and it's been funny because it's like i you know I'm I'm a huge rewatcher, so I've been rewatching some of these like um, films, or, like re-reading some of these books that I I grew up um, reading, and it's 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 so interesting watching it from like that different lens. Where when I was younger, it was very much like, oh, this is how it's like, and now now it's just like, oh, girl, no. And I get to I guess laugh at myself now <laughs> when I when I think back to those those moments.
0: Yeah, one of the films we last time we spoke together, you mm. were talking about um, my best friend's wedding.
3: Yes,
0: as an example yes. of that, right?
3: Yes, I was outraged. <laughs> so I rewatched that. I rewatched that recently, and to be honest, the first time I watched it, it's not like I I wasn't sort of like in love with that movie at all. Um, but I do remember being on like Julia Roberts' side, um, and I rewatched it, and I was just like, wow, this is. This is such. This is so problematic. Like it, it's such a problematic relationship in in so many different ways. Like outside of the fact that obviously, like Julia Roberts is trying to like break up this engagement, you know, because she, she feels like she needs to be with this guy. Um, but even just looking at um, I'm terrible with names, but even looking at like the the main um relationship, like with um the the girl, like she was so much younger. than than he was like she was literally just um i think she hadn't started um college and like that was like that was one of the things where um it was like one of the parts of like their relationships where um because she was so young she was absolutely um obsessed with him and he repeatedly said like that was why he loved her because she would dedicate his her life for him which is what she she was doing um so she you know had um career aspirations but she kind of like put that to the side because she was just like you know i'm just going to get married i'm just going to follow him around you know um and that's what i'm going to do and there was a moment where um julia roberts kind of convinced her to sort of like um you know put her foot down almost and sort of like um Uh, expressed that actually she does want to go to school and all this stuff and there was like this argument between them where um he oh it was just it was such a toxic argument where he was basically like gaslighting her almost like dismissing her and being like oh see this is what you wanted all along and it's just like of course this is what she wanted this is she's her own person like why wouldn't she want to like grow and explore a career outside of you like (laughs) come on um and it was that notion where it was just like, whoa, and then, you know, it's it it, it the whole thing's ended in tears and then um, all of a sudden they're in love again and I was just like, Wow <laughs> like this is such oh like no one should be with this guy <laughs> like this guy needs help and, and neither one of them you know need to to be kind of like chasing after this um, almost like predatorial guy. And, and it's one of those things where, um, yeah, it's just, I, it really kind of like took me, took me out (laughs) when when I watched it. Um, and and I think another one of them, um, which was a slightly is kind of like a similar experience, but it was like with twilight. So, um, Stephanie May, she released a book, uh, think last year, um, called midnight sun, which was basically, Twilight the first book of Twilight from Edward's perspective um and I do I do enjoy Twilight it's as ridiculous as as that book series and show and um tv tv film (laughs) was I I do it is like a place of comfort for me but it was such like it was such a mind-blowing experience like rereading that book again from Edward's perspective. Cause it was just like, oh no, <laughs> it was like Edward, you are literally a stalker. <laughs> like you are a stalker and you can't justify the fact that you're putting this girl in danger um, under the pretense of like, yes, but I really just love her. I'm obsessed with her. I like, just have to be with her and all this stuff. It's like, no, it's like such a, it's such a strange message, I think, to kind of like deliver to, to, um, young people especially young women um because i think it does like it builds in this, these like little notions of like okay so this is the guy i'm supposed to go for this is why I, it's okay for me to kind of give up about about myself you know um in order to be in this wildly passionate relationship it's interesting that you say that i, I do think there are quite
2: a few messages that get taken away um from those stories you know um that the, in order to get into any kind of entanglement or situation with someone, it has to be complicated, it has to be messy. There has yeah. to be a problem with that person where they can't open up. There has to be all these hurdles that you have to fight through. Uh, and on top of that, like you said with Twilight, where almost like stalking is justified as long as your heart's in the right place and that you like yeah. Um, even though it's very questionable. And you can see how it gets fed into, I guess, the ways in which we uh, sometimes expect love or relationships to be. And what was the moment for you or what kind of age about was you at a point where you're like, wait a minute, you know, this doesn't hold up. This like, isn't. Uh, or, you know, what I'm seeing in the relationships I'm getting into or starting to do, mm. it's definitely not that. Like, where was that breaking point
3: for you? Definitely when I hit, like my, um, or just maybe just before, like my mid twenties, you know, like, like around like that 24, well, 23, 24, by 25, I was like, oh, I was like, no. <laughs> um, but I think around that age, it kind of like, um, when you've been, you know, in a sort of a, a long-term um, relationship and you sort of like had, like you've thrown in that drama and you've thrown in that, like the mess And then it just becomes like, it becomes very repugnant where it's just like, okay, no, this is not, I I don't want, I like my, my idea of a good argument is not like someone screaming and someone like running away and like the chasing after all that stuff. My idea of, and that was my idea of a good argument for sure. Like I've I've had those arguments. I can tell you that for a fact. (laughs) Um, My idea of a good argument is like, catching an argument before it becomes an argument like okay what what's going on here obviously you're having a moment i'm having a moment i'm reacting this way you know like the communication and being like it doesn't have to be this intense thing it could simply be like uh, a case where you and i know each other and something's happening right now that's kind of like taking you out of your element it's not about me i know that for sure i think that's another thing that these like books and, and these stories kind of like in an underhand way, tell you where, where it's like it, it makes you feel as though all these, uh, when someone else is living their life, or like you know, when they're doing something, it's because of you. You know, like that notion that oh, Edward's just you know in the corner watching her, and you know he's going to do all these stuff in the back of like back of this, or even with Mister Mister Darcy from Pride and Prejudice, the fact that you know he is so solid with her, like to her, to her face, he's so solid. You know, you wouldn't really get the notion that oh he he's harboring this secret love and you know he's going to protect her family from scandal and all this other stuff um it's not something that he presents in in in, um at face value but it's like something that's going on behind the scenes and i think like that notion like that idea um is (laughs) something that is so destructive i feel to to um um relationships or has been for for mine where it's just like i feel as though okay everything you're doing is because of me (laughs) you know like if you're not doing this it's because you don't like me or if you're not if you if you are doing this it's because you know um you're reacting to me and and it's still like a notion i kind of have to like um push away from um in relationships where it's just like actually more likely than not, it's about, it's, it's about you, you know, even if it's about me, it's about you. If that, if that makes sense, like you're reacting because, you know, you've had a bad day or you're, um, you know, you've been triggered by something or something has occurred. Like there's, there's a cleaner explanation to all of this, um, as opposed to like, Oh, you know, you have this burning desire or, you know, it's, it's just so much more complicated and deeper, I think, than, um, these these tropes you know allow for um and So I think I think growing up kind of like opened my eyes to that notion um which has definitely made relationships easier
0: yeah it's just amazing how much of what we understand about the world and how we behave is so deeply influenced by the books and the movies and the tv shows Mm. that we that we um consume um but in terms of your um your work as a writer as when you come to create characters and relationships between the characters that you're writing um how is it uh how do you find it like working against these tropes that you know these these ideas of drama is good problem is good um which is very much the mainstream i think um tropes that we we get fed a lot like how how do you find that process of like working against that in your actual creative output
3: yeah I mean I found it very natural actually um I think I think I think I was definitely saved by the fact that when I started writing the book I didn't have this notion where oh I'm writing a book and it's going to be published and people have to like it people have to you know it has to have all these elements um for people to like resonate with it so what that sparked i think for me was just um far less pressure i think to meet certain points um and get and it allowed me to just explore the points that made sense for me or that that were very natural for me um so in the book and i think also there's an element of it so you know with um daughters of henry it's it's a fantasy um and then your fantasies, um, think they can sort of like be centered on like romance and like those types of relationships and i i do enjoy those fantasies as well but that's not really daughters of enemy i think daughters of enemy is very realistic almost in that you have these female protagonists but the men in their lives aren't like the center like that's not what drives them it's not sort of like this guy who you know hates them and then loves them and then all this this is not all that that um that thing I I think even like the relationships that are forming or have formed in the book they're much more I say um much more natural and 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 subtle and you sort of like they are very much this slow burn where it's just like okay well you know and it it makes sense I think for those characters you know I, I think I've noticed that feedback from um Daughters of Henry where it's just like it's it's just not it's not the focus. It's not sort of like something where knowledge just like oh my goodness, I'm obsessed over this guy. It's just very much like mm, well, I have feelings. I recognize I have feelings, but I have to do this thing. And you know, this is my focus. Um, and actually, where I tilt it towards with the book is on the um, relationships between women. You know, like the the friendships and the the dynamics, and even like the um, tensions that women can have when you're grown up in a society that devalues women. I think that comes into um, play with like increased competition in a negative way, um, where it's like you're competing for men's attention and all this stuff. Like so that's this that's the side where I'm just like that I fall into. Like that's probably where you get um the most like where people are just like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe this. Like and, and, and um there's two characters who who very much start off, you know, constricted um in terms of like being women in this society and like it it impacts um their the way that they interact with each other um but then life happens and you kind of like see you know a bond forming between these two where it's just like very much like okay maybe you're not yeah maybe you're not like a raging bitch like actually you have a heart and you're cool and actually I respect you and you know and you sort of like see that you see that um progressing um so that's kind of where my writing took me and and it's it's so funny because it's it's not something I thought okay I'm going to be writing this book that's that's a feminist book and it's about and it centers you know female relationships and you know aunties and you know sisters and all this stuff it's I, I didn't go into it thinking that that was what I was going to do but it was just so natural. It's like that was very much like where my perspective was. Where you do have like these um men, you know, there in their lives, but it's not sort of like yeah, it, it's it's it doesn't fit into that the um the standard tropes, I think, that I've I've um read you know, grow, growing up.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. It's like the power to the independence that you have as an independent publisher, you've come into this with a, actually a very pure pursuit. You, you were like, these are the stories I'm desperate to tell. You told them without mm. any constraints of like, oh, this is the kind of book that needs that will sell easier, or mm. you had no kind of box ticking, um, you know, back in the background of your mind. So um, hence, hence, yeah, um, yeah, the purity of it in, in a sense.
3: Mm. Um, yeah, fantastic. Here's one. I'm going to flip it on its head. Any positive tropes that you're beginning
2: to see emerge in the young adult kind of um, book genre or that you are also trying to push? I guess you've spoken about things that you're unpacking, but any positive traits that you think is actually quite a healthy thing, um, I guess, in this new generation and new age?
3: I think... um yeah that's a tricky to be fair I don't I uh, I think that tropes I enjoy tropes you know I do enjoy tropes I I I honestly do it's one of those things where it's just like it's so complicated because I do have like a love and hate relationship with some of these things where it's like there is a sense of comfort there um and, and I do enjoy them it's difficult to say which ones are healthy (laughs) that's like that's where it gets tricky um i think the the healthy element comes in like i think the complexity you know that that's delivered when you're exploring some of these things um and but i do love tropes and and i think one of my favorite tropes um is i guess uh, I think it it's an element of like enemies to to friends almost but maybe a, maybe a little bit more complicated where it's just like um it's I, you know the relationship that Loki and Thor have you know where it's just like yeah where it's just like at the end of the day family you know there's that element then but then there's also like this question and doubt where it's just like yeah but am I on your side maybe maybe not like that that kind of I find that really fun I do think, it's like it's not sort of like a, a case where it's just like, oh, I feel like we have to get rid of all the tropes or we should not do all these like triangle relationships or like found family, all the different types of tropes. It's, n- it's not that case at all. I think it's just more so, and I think it sounds with this with nearly everything. It's more so that um, we need more, you know, we need more content, more um, perspectives, more, um, you know, something to balance them out you know so that we have like these so that you know young people or all people kind of have like their books that they can go to for some of these like very dramatic and um at times problematic you know relationships but then they also have something where it's just like okay this is actually um this is sparking a, a different aspect of like you know growing your emotional intelligence and like you know allowing you to reflect on relationships in a really in a much deeper way or like in a, not even deeper, I guess in a much more realistic way where it's like some of these things, like some of the way um, these characters are presented, you know, we have other characters kind of like calling them out where it's just like, okay, well, you know, that's a problem, you know, Edward maybe you shouldn't be stalking this girl who's, you know, 80 years or something younger than you (laughs) mentally. even though you look same, it's just so yeah it's like such a good point <laughs> yeah it's like one of those it's one of those things where it's just like you know that balance I think that balance of like content balance of um perspectives and everything so I think I think that's really um what I'm I'm most um excited about when it comes to like the new wave of like literature that we'll have out I think broadening you know the what what broadening the definition of what is good YA or what's good fantasy or like what can be published um is I think one it's like a huge step towards you know um giving young people more um more insight into the world and, 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 you know, giving them more ammo when it comes to approaching these relationships.
0: Wow. Amazing. Amazing note to end on. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. This has been such a lovely conversation. Um, Tell us and the audience, like where should we follow your work? Where should we, you know, keep in touch with um, new things coming out of Press and yourself as well?
3: Yes, of course. I mean, th- first of all, thank you guys for having me on. I had such a good time, like, chatting with you guys. It was a, it was a great, great um, addition to my day. Um, you can find me, it's very easy to find me in Onway, thank Thinking. <laughs> like, you can find me um, on all the platforms, really, um, at Rennie K Amayo, so R-E-N-I-K-A-M-A-Y-O, and, um, and with onway our at is at we are onway so um w-e-a-r-e-o-n-w-e um and you know we we both have the same ats for for all the different um platforms
0: amazing great um yeah great thank you so much Did you have any moments where like do you can you pinpoint any moments in your in your engagement like with reading books or films that where you were where there was like a moment where you're like, oh actually you start to feel like there's a there's a bit of something wrong with the or like start to pick up on the tropes. Was there like a conscious do you can you think of a conscious moment where that sort of came about?
2: I feel like Ten Things I Hate About You is pretty good. Uh, I remember, I can't remember when that came out, like 2000s or something. So I wouldn't have been even a teen at that point. Um, but seeing, uh, what's her name? Is it Julie Styles, The main character um, kind of stand her ground and also be the very opposite of her sister um, in that film in terms of like her approach to and criticising certain Ways and expectations of women, especially I felt like it was quite meta because it was like her sister was probably like a stereotype of the female character that you would get in a teen movie at that time. And so to have like someone kind of being like, I don't want to be like that. And also this way of living is problematic. Yeah. So having like them to kind of be juxtaposed in the way that they see the world and the way that they navigated their teenage and romance, I felt like it was one of those moments where I was like, I'm more like her than her sister. But maybe it's just the way that, that the angling of the story. But it was definitely a moment where I was like, yeah, this is exactly where I see a difference. I connect more with this kind of person than the kind of stereotypical female character that you've got in two movies at the time. That is her sister.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting way in, isn't it? Like just kind of thinking on which character that you actually identify with.
1: Uh, this isn't quite the same thing but I was just thinking about um this the series You on Netflix and how that works with like the the trope of like you know the ever attentive romantic uh guy or the sort of obsessive like I'll be obsessed with you until I catch you sort of guy yeah which I guess in some sort of stories is uh, that's portrayed as the thing that you do to to win the girl you want right and that's normal and I think I'd accepted like a bit of that until like just seeing it like highlighted in that series and seeing how like insane the main character who's also a massive reader uh, and loves romance and loves fiction gets and you're like it's very clever what they've done but it just it gets you to reflect on some of these ideas that you're you're pushed about love and just realise it ain't all that, you know?
0: <laughs> As an audience of that type of content, I personally have a really high tolerance for creepy behaviour. <laughs> Not in real life. I don't know, maybe in real life. But I mean, like, I've definitely watched movies. There's this really great animation movie called... I lost my body and the whole movie is like this hand that's like going through the world, trying to find the body and it's a really beautifully animated movie and the director has done some really lovely short films in the past about like schizophrenic, like schiz- schizoid, Um Yeah. So like he's definitely somebody who's sensitive and smart and, but like the movie is definitely that trope is this guy who's like kind of pursuing this girl and, And going through those creepy motions and I personally I was just like oh that was such a beautiful movie it came out in cinema and people were just like uh he was a massive stalker hello
1: and I was like oh yeah maybe but
0: yeah really high
1: tolerance over here and I think that's the thing because in real life most people do not have very much patience for someone they say no to twice like if you have to gently say no to someone twice the third time it's like now you're being stalkerish, right? <laughs> or like, the pursuit should be off by now. Um, but in cinema and in fiction, that whole sort of trying again and like winning the person back and, um, you know, even going out of your, your way to find out about someone in like quite shady ways is completely condoned.
2: And I would agree with you there, Daniela. Um, I remember watching The Notebook uh, I think it was like is it first year of uni or whenever I watched it and I was like, Oh my god Like my my inner hyperphone girl came out I was like, This is such a lovely movie, this is so romantic. But um and later on I remember watching like a, a kind of a YouTube kind of discussion conversation where he breaks down stalkering kind of dodgy romance in films that we take for granted and he pinpointed that moment where is it called is when the guy's is the guy called Noah? where he's literally chased the main character onto the Ferris wheel and he's and even though the woman is with a guy on a date anyway or someone she's dating and he hangs off with one hand and is like i'm going to let go unless you say you're going to go on a date with me in front of the person she's dating already on the Ferris wheel at the top of the Ferris wheel and at the time you're just like oh he's so committed to you know winning her heart and you don't question it but i feel like there's a lot more interrogation of those kind of things <laughs> as adults but I, as a i guess a early 20 year old i, I then you know late teens i was like oh that's so romantic.
0: yeah <laughs> uh, that's so there's list of things that are wrong with that scenario first of all how rude like he's not even taking consideration the other guy who's like on a date like how awkward for him yeah second of all she said no already <laughs> as well yeah like already like stalking and and not taking no for a no, and like let's lower the drama a bit. You no, know? like he's like threatening his life for a date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think Rona, you're right. It's like if that happened in real life, you'd be like, let's get the police involved. Whereas <laughs> in the movie, it's just like in the movie, you're just like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. This is this is the love of my life. Yes, <laughs> yes. After like five, five times, no. Like, do you know what? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's crazy. I don't remember that about that movie. I just remember watching that movie and obviously being so moved because it is very touching. And then afterwards, I just I was just very suspicious. I just feel like some of these movies is like they're so like the pathos level is so high. And I get that with books sometimes as well. You're reading and so page turning, you're so involved. And you're just like, this feels like addictive drug behaviour. Like, I don't know why, but my brain is just loving this, but I'm also thinking, like, maybe this is not good for me. That's kind of how I felt about the notebook. Like, it was beautiful. Like, it made me feel so much. I was just like, no.
2: I agree, I agree. And that's the thing about approach as well. It's that recognition of certain patterns that you repeat and copy and paste.
1: Yeah, totally. I was just thinking, I know this is one of the things we wanted to talk about coming up, but, like, on the flip side to that, do you guys have any examples where some of these tropes are handled in a more positive light.
0: So I actually, I want to talk about Die Hard for a second, because I watched that recently, and that movie has so many things that's like, as an quote-unquote angry feminist, if we're just going to like use quote marks and use that label, you could get really angry about, right? Because John McClane, he's like going through... And he like, he's like in the middle of like being chased to the death and he comes across, let's say, this is not a spoiler or anything if you haven't seen that movie, but he comes across this locker and somebody's pasted like a a news photo of a woman, like from a magazine on the thing. And he takes a moment to pause and looks at that and he's like, yeah. And then he carries on. But I, recently when I watched it, I kind of felt like, do you know what though? This is very authentic to the character that he is. He isn't, he is portrayed as a fallible character throughout this franchise is kind of like they touch on the fact that his relationship then falls apart again because the kind of person that he is and how – and he's he is, like, sad about it, but there's no, like – there isn't a satisfying resolution about his relationship with his wife slash ex-wife, and she is a very – like, she has her own life. Even though the movie isn't about her, she's pursuing her thing. And so in that instance, I think the movie is – I find it very forgivable because it's just or it, the movie is about him and where he pauses to to look at a, a naked picture of a woman. That's his authenticity coming through as a character. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the gaze of that movie is very, you know, he's very sexualized and objectified in that movie. Like there's, he's comp- always like cover, glistening with um, with sweat and his muscles coming through. It kind of goes both ways. So I kind of feel like that's weirdly when I watched it again recently, I was like very forgiving Sash just loved it.
1: <laughs> like, that's probably true of Die Hard. But one thing I think I notice a lot of the time when it's like hetero relationships, the man, even if he has negative like qualities is always redeemable. Um, and I, I I guess I'm speaking a lot here about like sort of like fiction and like classical fiction and stuff like that. But um The woman is always presented as someone who has to be kind of like eternally patient or like resilient in some way. I think the point I'm trying to make is that this quality of being fallible when it comes to men, the narratives usually allow some space for you to work with that, if you see what I mean. Like it's okay if, say, for example, um, the guy in Die Hard is a bit of like he has some bad qualities because maybe there might be the space to redeem that. Similarly, I'm thinking of like um, going back to Pride and Prejudice, you know, Mr. Darcy can be a bit cruel, but like, and rude, but he is given space to redeem himself. Whereas like the women are usually the ones who are like, have to be ever gentle, ever patient, ever kind and forgiving. Do you know what?
2: I agree. I feel like that has been um, the case for women in terms of story writing and um, in films and TV shows and books. But I feel like recently there have been a, a rise kind of counteracting that. So I, as you were talking, I was thinking of some of the films that I, or TV shows that I gravitated towards because they were fallible as females. And I found that so exciting and, you know, a, counterintuitive to everything we've been exposed to growing up Um, so Fleabag I May Destroy You uh, um, the TV series Crazy Ex-Girlfriend TV series and Girlfriends which I didn't like as much, was it Girlfriends I think it was called yeah which I didn't like as much but these are flawed women who navigate romance um, and even to a point they they sometimes become a little bit stereotypical in the kind of self-absorbed way but um I feel like maybe mainstream society is becoming more accepted of those kind of characters in um, TV. But then there's also that risk of becoming a stereotype in itself, like the the train wreck kind of character female who hasn't got her life sorted and is very fallible. I don't know. Maybe there is the other extreme of that.
0: Yeah, those are great examples, though. Um I, it's actually reminded me of this um, really an essay by Gia Tolentino, who we've spoken about on the show before. Obviously, big fan. Um, but like in her collection *Trick Mirror*, there's an essay called *Pure Heroines*, and she kind of breaks down how if you are uh, a fierce and spirited character, a female character, if you are like preteen or young girl, then things are you are you are like exploring the world and you're celebrated in the fiction but if you're a woman then what meets you is either death or rape and she kind of lists through all of different examples in literature and film and TV shows Um, and I was just like absolutely floored after reading that essay because you're just like well this is what the world wants from women (laughs) Did you read that as a Rona?
1: Yeah, I was going to say actually, because I think for me, one of my sort of redeemable uh, films or characters would be Pocahontas. But she 110% plays into that that whole sort of like, she's a young girl exploring the world, making her own decisions. Um, but I think the thing that I, I love about Pocahontas is that despite the fact that she, she sort of like, Finds love with John and um, sort of creates peace for her community and her tribe through that. She like she still decides to stay like with her community as opposed to like leaving them like doing the whole marriage thing, right? Like that whole movement where you leave and then you join your partner. Um, and I I think I found that refreshing as a young girl watching that. But yeah, still, still, kind of like plays into that trope. But then maybe that begs the question whether all these tropes are bad because, like, in some weird ways, I think I really needed to see that. You know, even though it is highly stereotypical.
0: See what? See the see the Pocahontas story.
1: Yeah, see the Pocahontas version of of a of a character, right? Like where it's a young girl exploring the world, having to make difficult decisions that upset people and finding her in two feet.
0: Yeah, definitely. I just wanted to say about Pocahontas though, like, do you think there is an element of, it's almost safe to do that with a character like her because she's so in a way othered from the outset? Because it's such a, it's like, it's a historical perspective and it's like, well, it's fictional in the sense of like time and temporality. Like, well, this is, this is not dangerous because she's so quote unquote other, like anyway, that yeah. it's not really going to give, you know, give girls like, I don't know, like maybe, yeah, I don't
1: know. I, yeah, I a really good point yeah, because there was some there was a whole taboo around the mixed race like sort of romance which they kind of evade by keeping her where she's she is one of the things I did want to share with you guys when thinking about this episode though was growing up I used to love Jane Eyre I loved it to the point that I'd imagine like going through some of the same situations she does so she goes to like a boarding school and she has like cold porridge I'd like sit at like you know my breakfast table and imagine having cold porridge and stuff but the guy who she ends up with, yeah, he's called Mr. Rochester. And he's like mean, domineering, like he spends a lot of his time, I believe, in the attic. He He's blind, not to say that, like whatever, but like that's just another factor. He's old. And somehow they get into this romantic situation after him obviously being kind of a bit cruel initially. And then she's about to marry him, and then she realizes that he's basically been cheating on her. This no, it doesn't really. say it like this. But like he was already married, you know what I mean? And so he's been cheating with her. And then somehow the happy ending at the end is the fact that they he agrees to marry her, and that because he's married her, she has more power than what she had before. And I was like. How was this my favorite novel because this is super damaging I don't know just thinking about the whole aloof character and falling with falling for an aloof character I was like yeah this was obviously like the blueprint here do
0: you remember what it was about that book that you really loved was it like were you captivated by their relationship or the writing like what what
1: was it that made you love it so much I think it was the descriptions and also Jane to be honest I think because she actually I don't know whether it was because she struggles at life, but she actually just somehow makes it through. Like she actually just makes it through. And I, I don't know whether it was just, you're kind of cheering her on and her journey, but it's just weird to think of her journey. Like, cause she, yeah, like she was like, she was like neglected. She went to a home. They were really horrible to her at the home. Like she had like, was in really bad living conditions, uh, but then she managed to make it as like a sort of, like a teacher in like a, a school or some sort of place like that so you kind of like rooting for her along the way and she's like she's like a really solid it's all first person so this is why I sometimes talk about how the way things are written right because when you read something in first person you really align with the person that the the, the novel is being presented from and so I think I was just cheering her on but I'm like nah I should have been like sis leave Right. <laughs> but yeah. That's how I
2: feel about Beauty and the Beast, man. I've never liked that film. I I thought it was visually interesting, but the dynamic between Beauty and the Beast, like, doesn't he like kidnap the dad? And at one point he hits her. How is this a Disney film? I like and she seems like she had like you were saying about um Jane, uh, Belle seemed like she had so much going for her and such a good person. And I, it just seemed like, why should we be happy with that ending of them being together? And just cause he gets turned into a human doesn't mean the content of his heart has changed. Like, I don't know. I was never up for that, at all. And now, I was a kid.
0: Yeah, like excusing and indoctrinating women that they can and should stay in abusive
1: relationships somehow.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But then half of me is like, is that not also kind of a tiny bit real? Do you know what I'm saying? No woman should accept a guy eating and kidnapping the dad. (laughs) Like, that's, I don't know what
2: relationships children should be expecting in their adult years, but it shouldn't be that.
1: (laughs) If I remember correctly, the Beast is like, he's, like, violent, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like not he doesn't hurt her, but he likes you know thrashes things around because he has his own emotional issues. And like she then is about to go because she's like done with this. And then the people come to try and save her. Like the Basquiat, I think he's called Bastiat, the one who wants to be like her her man and she's not into him. He eats like eight eggs. I remember that fact. Um but he they're coming to basically come for the for the beast. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's very damaging, but two, half of me is they're like They're two separate situations.
2: You could want the best for a person, but not necessarily want the best for a person that you're gonna try and save them and be in a relationship with them. That doesn't mean you need to marry the person. Yeah, save them from
0: That's the point.
2: Yeah, that
0: Yeah, I think that the the part of it that's 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 outrageous is that like you have to that like you have to accept that pairing, I guess. And and I think it's really interesting that you bring up that you're both talking about like people who are mentally deranged. Like that's what these situations are. And I have to think of Withering Heights. For the first half of the book, I was pretty much like, what on earth is going on? Because um, the story is um, about, what's his name? Heath, Heathcliff, um, who is totally in love with this girl who is like they're not related but they were I think yeah they're part of the same family somehow they grew up together and she's of like she's more privileged than he is and she goes away or something and he's just like forever lives this tortured love and becomes and for some other reason I can't remember is like very tortured and the descriptions of his love like his the description of his love is so affecting and beautiful but he's clearly a completely deranged person. And it's like, I feel like this book is not, it's maybe referred to as like a great, a great romance novel or something, but it's, what it is, is a great description of somebody who had childhood trauma and became deranged. Like that's what the book is about. <laughs> and the book is worth reading for that, like for a description of someone who can become like,
1: I mean, yeah, I don't know. I hear you both and I agree with you both, but my comment is actually, is this not realistic? Because do people not end up in these situations? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, as an adult... I don't think Disney was intending that, though. There was a complete misstep in their
2: perspective.
1: I hear you. I, I get the fact that they obviously tried to promote that, that narrative. And to like, um, you know, smooth over any of the problems. All of this is possible in adult relationships. And even though these narratives, they kind of are made very palatable and um, attractive in a weird way by Disney because of the way they're packaged, right? There is actually a need to be, cautious i don't know like it's like i don't know i feel like the storylines are kind of effective but it's just the ends that need to change if
2: i was to compare that to your example that you gave earlier of um netflix's you where they quite purposely show the toxicity in that kind of dynamic and that kind of person Um, And by flipping the the trope and the stereotype on its head, but making it very clear that this can be, this can also be its logical conclusion. And I think when you're trying to do something like show, oh, this is how relationships can be toxic. You have to be very clear and intentional with that so that people get the right message from it, if that makes sense. And sometimes it's, it's unmistakably, and people don't get the right message from it. So, there are people out there, um, you know, reading Withering Heights or watching Beauty and the Beast, and what they're taking from that is this is how love can be. Uh, and I think, yeah, it is a, a description, and I guess you can say that's art, but I think from the intentions of Disney, maybe it would have been better if they were gonna try and do something quite intelligent and really show how some relationships can be, be very intentional and clear with it, especially for children.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Instead of making things so idolized, it would I, I think it would be good if we had more narratives that showed the flaws and the dangers around some of this stuff, right? Because yeah, people do people are living, you know, accepting these these things. And developing unhealthy boundaries or like ideas of what love is because of some of these narratives.
0: Do you know what? I actually would like to end on a recommendation of a movie. It's not uh, a romantic relationship, but it's like, fr- it's a friendship movie. And I mean, why is it that we're always, there's like such an oversaturation of, of movies about romance and I think not enough movies about friendship. But this is an animation movie called Ernest and Celestine. And it's about the friendship of a bear and a little mouse. And it's honestly the most beautiful movie ever. And it takes some very, um, there's there's lots of things about the movie that's um, unconventional in the setup. Like the way, like the kind of the positioning of like this bear character versus the little mouse and who they are and how unlikely their friendship is. Um, not just because he's a bear and it, the other one is a mouse, but yeah, just that's a really great movie to watch about friendship. I think. Do you guys have any good recommendations, maybe? We could we could end on that.
1: You know what? I kind of like um, Insecure, just because like from where I'm at right now, as a grown woman, I think that is a good sort of depiction of modern day dating and relationships and some of the things that pop up when you're doing that, you know?
2: I can't think of one at the top of my head, but some of the I guess the ones I mentioned earlier on in the show, like, I May Destroy You, um, Fleabag, and even Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, that gave me loads of jokes. I think those kind of shows where it kind of subverts your expectations of um, women and modern living and modern females, I guess, um, which I thought, in a fun way.
0: For the extended version of this show with a selection of great music, tune in on Mixcloud or on Soho Radio. Thank you again for tuning in to Third Waves and stay tuned online at Third Magazine on Instagram. That's Third with Three Eyes. I'm Daniela.
1: I'm Tribe. I am Rona.